So we're in our final sermon um, of our series, and then uh, we've also, uh, at the same time, we're concluding uh, the, the idea that we've been going through through the, the first half of this year, talking about our visible faith, talking about how we present what it is to the world around us. And in this particular series, we've been talking about the things that we do, uh, not just the things that we say, uh, but how the things that we do impact people um, to confirm the message that we're trying to present to them. And we've been going through just looking at the person who is the best at it, to, to look at the examples of Christ and, and see what it was that he did to, 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 to show people beyond the incredible teachings. Um, and we're going to depart from our pattern a little bit. Uh, as I describe that to you, we're actually going to depart just for a little bit. Um, we're going to look um, at what he said. Sometimes uh, the things that you say are, are a requirement to understand what it is you're doing. And, and that's, uh, there, are, there are times where you can show a kindness and nothing is necessary. There's no words. Uh, some, sometimes it's really good not to say anything if you're we're talking about something where, where someone is going through grief or whatever. Sometimes you just, you just clamp that thing shut. And, and it's better to be silent. But sometimes what we show requires the context of the message that we're trying to present. And we're going to be looking at that today. Um, talking about Father's Day. And I believe uh, this is just my own, my own conclusions as a, as a father. Uh, that every father should have... One, I mean, there's lots of things that make fatherhood, but I, I've always believed, well, not always, but I've, I've learned over, over the course of raising uh, kids that, that there's one superpower every father should strive to, to, to master. Uh, one thing in particular, among the bucket list of things that we should probably have, not able to do this perfectly, I've never been able to do this perfectly, but this is the, the ability to make a child stop in his tracks using nothing but your eyes and your eyebrows. Uh, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, we, right before we moved to Ukraine, so, so we, had a, we had a one-year-old child, uh, Benjamin. It was one-year-old. It's hard to believe that he was ever that small. Uh, but, but we got pictures downstairs of him close to that age, so, so you can just have to use your imagination from there on out. But uh, we, we were invited over to, to a dinner at a friend of ours, a friend from going back to college time, and, and, uh, and her parents were going to be there. And uh, he, it must have been just past his, uh, his first birthday-ish. And, and so he was experimenting with something at the table, which wasn't proper. I don't even remember what it was. I don't know if he was trying to grab something. that he, I don't know. But he thought it was amusing, you know, what he was doing. Yeah. And sometimes it was. Sometimes it was, it was hard to discipline a kid who's funny. And uh, so, so but it wasn't funny. It's, you know, the first time we did it, it was like, okay, no. The second time, he's like... That, that got a reaction, so I'm going to try it again. And and I, I I just I leaned on the table, 
with that. And I said, think about it. So I said, think about it. And he sized me up. And he looked that back up at me. And sized that, that like I could see it on his face. He's never been good at hiding things on his face. And he's sizing me up thinking, is he really mean what he's saying? Like, I hear the words. I, he ha- but he needed to have the context match the words coming out of my mouth. And he's like, whatever it was, he's like, no, no, no. okay. Dad looks like he, he got enough crazy there. Uh, he had figured out by one-year-old that I have a little crazy in me. And, uh, and so he... He made the correct decision. Hasn't always, but, but he, he made it that time. It's about emphasis. And uh, there are a lot of ways to emphasize. And uh, I'm sure that there were times where Jesus just gave a look at his disciples. Just like, Peter, think about it. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that. I mean, you've got pairs of brothers, and I've heard brothers tell stories about what they do as brothers. So, you know, sometimes it gets carried away. Well, Peter and John, or Peter and Andrew, and James and John, there's pairs here. Like, Guys, you need to reel it in. But uh, I want to talk about a particular thing throughout Christ's ministry that he wanted to emphasize. And it's where we conclude today, and it's the concept of expectation. It is hard to communicate an expectation non-verbally. We've been talking about some non-verbal things. But to have an expectation means that that has to be communicated somehow verbally or written. There has to be an actual message. You just can't eyebrow that one. You can emphasize it non-verbally, but, but that has to be clarified. So we're going to look at a couple of these. Matthew chapter 18. Some things that Jesus has expectations for his disciples. Matthew 18 is, is where we start. And we're going to be starting in uh, verse 18. Matthew 18, 18 through 22. That is not right. Okay. You're going to have to do some logic here. Okay. Well, I know it's not Mark. And that's not looking any better. All right, that is not, that's not even nice. (laughs) All right, if someone wants to look that up, it's the story. Well, he's going to have to quote it. If, we, if someone finds it fast, then I do not know how I got Matthew eighteen eighteen on my page. Uh, but it is the story where Christ has some disciples. 
and, and, and potential disciples. They filled out the application and said, well, uh, we would, we, we're interested in being one of your disciples. And Jesus says, well, I have some expectations. And, and these are my expectations. And uh, one of them says, well, first let me go and bury my father. Remember the story? First let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him what? Let the dead bury the dead. Okay, so good. Yes. I don't even know how I got Matthew 18 from that. Matthew 8? Matthew 8. See, I just added a 1 there. All right, let's read that. I don't even have fat fingers. I don't even know how I did that. But... Um, All right, Matthew 8. Let's read it. We quoted it pretty good. We got it between all of us here. We got it. So, <clears throat> Jesus saw a multitude. Uh, nope, that's Matthew 8, 18. Are you sure it's Matthew 8? 8, 21? Ah, uh, yes, here we go. Uh, no. 29 or 21? I'm not, now I'm going deaf and blind. 21, Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, I didn't go far enough. I was like, we read this already. We did this last week. So another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And we think Jesus is, we think that Jesus is awful here because he won't let a man go to a funeral. Have you ever thought that? Go I mean, it's, it's what? It's one day? It's one afternoon? What are you doing? That, and we kind of go, that, that's not right. I don't understand Jesus here. I mean, there's some difficult things here. And, and a lot of that is because we don't understand their culture. And that's not what he was saying. Jesus was not saying, you can't go to a funeral. And Jesus went to funerals. So uh, he tended to raise people when he went to funerals, but he at least went to the funeral. And in their culture, they didn't do like our culture. Our culture, someone hits a certain age and we put them in assisted living. And that's, well, they're there until they pass. That, that's our culture. They don't have that in their culture back then. So what he does is, he says, this disciple is, what he means by burying my father is he's like, he's talking about a living relative. I have a father and this father is in my house, and I can't be your disciple until he passes. We put nice phrases on him, right? We, we, we don't like the word death and dying, so we talk about passing away, or we, we talk about that. This is one of their nice phrases. I, I need to wait till my dad dies. That's not nice. So, so they talk about sleeping, or, or I'm going to wait. The, the process of burying is, you know, you wait, I'm, I'm waiting for my dad to pass away. And so what he's saying is, listen, I have this period of time. I don't know how long it is. Then I'll be your disciple. Well, also in their culture is this thing where they have a number of children. Someone, typically the oldest, takes care of an old relative. Until if that person becomes incapable... The next one down the line takes care of, that was just the standard. 
uh, on the cross. This one always bugs me when we sing this song. Uh, but but we, we sing uh, this song, and it says, uh, Jesus, you know, he says to this disciple woman, he says, woman, behold your son. And we talk to, uh, we sing that as though Jesus is referring to himself. Woman, behold your son. Like, look at me. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is getting ready to die. He can no longer take care of Mary. So he is presenting Mary to be taken care of by John, the son of Zebedee. Woman, behold your son. This is now your son. This is now the one that's taking care of you. That's what he's saying. It always bugs me when we sing that. But uh, a lot of things bug me. That's their culture. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have brothers, sisters, whatever, that are not spiritual. They're not, they're dead spiritually. Let them take care of the physical things of taking care of people till they're dead. You take care of spiritual things because you're interested in being my disciple. Do that. You have someone that can make sure that you are being a good relative or, or that you're, that someone's taking care of your relatives. Someone in the house, someone in the family can do this. And he probably thought, I'm being a good son. I'm, that's spiritual. That's what God would want me to do. God said, yes, we want to make sure that your, your dad is taken care of. We can do that and still accomplish this thing that I have, this expectation. Now, that's the message. That's what Jesus is communicating verbally, but he emphasizes it. He doesn't, uh, he does a couple of things. First of all, he doesn't avoid, he doesn't avoid the difficult discussion. Often people want to give people the part of the gospel that they want to hear. They want to phrase everything nice. And they, they only like that part of the discussion. The part that can entice them. Jesus does not avoid the expectation. He throws it out there and he just lets it sit. Uncomfortable as it may be. A lot of times we... We want to, to, to put the nice version out and hope that maybe they'll get acclimated to it enough where we can give them the real deal, right? The bait and switch. Oh, this is the hard part now. You didn't know that, but now we've gotten you used to it. Well, Jesus starts off with the difficult part, with the expectation Jesus jumps into the hard part of what it means to follow. We back up to this other man. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. This is the other guy. This is the hard part. It doesn't make a difference what he's talking about. He jumps right into the difficult expectation.
Jesus emphasizes this with his own life. That's the other thing he does that's important. Jesus doesn't say, listen, uh, there's some financial obligations or what have you. But Jesus says, come see where I live. This is, I, I, I show this by my own living. I don't live in the nicest of circumstances. Now, this didn't mean that Jesus was homeless. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head and go, Oh, Jesus was homeless underneath the bridge somewhere. That's not what this means. He stayed places. Right? Come look where I stay. I have a place. So what this means is he didn't have a permanent place. He didn't own his own home. He kind of mooched off other people. I don't know. He's like, I'm in Bethany. I'm staying with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, and whatever. This is kind of, this is how I live. I'm not here for the long term. But he didn't live above what other people, what he expected of other people. Jesus said, this is the life I live. This is what I'm expecting you to do. I'm expecting you to give things up. If we are going to be effective, we are going to have to model, not just expect, but, but to model those expectations for other people. Now, Jesus was able to do that perfectly. I'm not always capable. I'm never capable, quite frankly. But at least if we make an honest effort to live at the level of the people that we're trying to reach, it goes a long way to emphasize, number one, that the, that the that the expectations are real. That they're not just in name only. That, okay, I'm, I'm waiting to see if that's real. Do you really mean what you say? Yes, I do it. Luke chapter 18. Let's see if we get the right one here. verse 18 beginning so this is scary maybe this is where I, I transposed from Luke 18 verse 18 says a certain ruler asked him saying good teacher what shall I do to inherit life Jesus said to him why do you call me good no one's good but just one you know the commandments do not commit adultery don't murder don't steal don't bear false witness honor your father and your mother and he said all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, Jesus could have stopped him and said, no, you're not, you're a liar. But he didn't. He's just like, okay, I'll, I'll allow that for now. So when Jesus heard that, he said, oh, well then, you just lack one thing. Sell everything you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when he heard that, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And um, again, was Jesus commanding poverty? 
Well, I suppose. Was he making a general reference that that is a requirement of all Christians? I don't think so. Uh, maybe it was this particular person that this particular situation, this guy had a problem with money, I don't know. Or maybe he's just testing him. In this situation, he needed disciples for this reason. I don't know that that was a... I don't see that as being a general requirement for all people. I do know that he expects me, and anyone who wants to be a Christian, not to be controlled by the physical world. That is, I can assure you, an aspect of Christianity. But he makes the teaching. He gives an expectation. Again, right off the bat, bam, this is what you got to do. No beating around the bush. No bait and switch. No, you're not going to come away from that conversation with Christ without a knowledge of expectation. We have to not be afraid of the expectations. We're going to come to why. And another point of emphasis. We're not required to be destitute. He makes a statement. Um, concerning uh, family. I think it's in one of the parallel passages of this. It says, um, actually, no, it's, it's further on down. It says, Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, who can be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are impossible with God. And Peter said, look, we've left all and we've followed you, so it is possible. And he said to him, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many more times that in this present life and then in the age to come, eternal life. And there's a, it's like, I was reading that, I was like, I've never seen this before, but I, that can't be what he's saying. There are things that I know he can't be saying. Christ cannot be saying that if you want to be his disciple, that you need to divorce your wife. I know he's not saying that, but he, he's like, there's no one. He says, there's no one who's left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who won't receive more. I don't think he's saying here as a means of encouragement, hey, listen, if you leave your wife, I've got a better one over here. That, that's not what he's saying. I know that. So what is he saying? I think what he's guaranteeing is there are eternal relationships. And yes, in the course of being a disciple, there were people that left their Christian, their believing. First, in, in, 
Paul even addresses that in 1 Corinthians. He's like, listen, you're not under bondage to try to keep that thing together. If they decide they're gone, you, you can't. You can't force them to stay. If you've decided you're going to do this, and they decide, now I'm staying, I'm not going anywhere, that's, that's up to them. That's their decision. But the things that you will receive, though that is obviously sad, those situations are awful. The things that in the future will be blessings are not even comparable. The relationships that we will have eternally are, are, are far greater and outweigh those. Well, that's the statement, and that's the, the teaching, but the emphasis is important. Obviously, we can make no mistake that Jesus expects things of us as his disciples. Right? It, he says, listen, this is what I expect. Jesus expects contribution. I know we don't like to talk about that aspect. But Jesus expects it. Jesus, Jesus is not like a waiter at a restaurant and you know we come in and he goes, you know, oh glad uh, glad glad to see you today. Could I could I show you to your booth, you know? Uh, would you like giving or non-giving? That that's not how this works. God expects contribution. If you're expecting a Savior with no expectations, this is not the Savior you're looking for. That, that, that's, that's not here. But there's something unspoken. In this text, I think that's important. And really, throughout all of these texts that we've read, that's worthy to be noticed. And, and I think we've gotten off the path, and so many churches or individuals in churches, maybe not all churches, but or not even all people in churches, have gotten off the path in, in trying to appease or trying to lighten the gospel. And one of the, the, the motivators for that is a failure to look at something Jesus does but doesn't say. In all of these examples, and the other ones that we could talk about, we could talk about the, the time where he had some potential disciples, and, and one guy says, uh, you know, I bought a piece of land. I, I need to go look at it. And uh, I, I always love this one. Because it's, well, I bought a piece of land, and then he gives a reason. I have to go and, and, and you know examine the land, see what it looks like. And uh, and then another guy goes, uh, you know, I I've, uh, I I bought some cows, and uh, they they plow and they're plowing cows, and, and I, I've got to uh, I've got to go test them. I've got to go get them used to the thing. So again, here's what I've done, and here's the reason. Third guy goes, I'm married. <laughs> no explanation. I'm married. Just got married. 
the same thing that's not spoken. He is willing to lose followers. Jesus just says it, puts it out there, and steps back and lets them do what they're going to do. And again, and again, and again, they get sad and they walk away. And Jesus doesn't go, come back, come back, come back. I've got the secondary gospel for you. I was just seeing what you do. He lets them leave. That's hard. That is the point of emphasis. I mean it. I mean it. This is the expectation. I'm not changing it. When you threaten to walk out the door, I'm not going to make it the light gospel. I'm not going to make it the light expectation so that I can keep the numbers. He lets them go. And when a, when a church can't stand to see the numbers go down, we'll change the gospel or, or we'll lighten the expectation in some way. It's, well, you know. That's not what Jesus ever did. In these moments, when Jesus has expectations... whether it be them in these stories or whether it's now, when we hear the expectations, Jesus just is quiet and looks at us and says, these are the expectations. And we size Jesus up. Does he mean what he says? I guarantee you Jesus means what he says. He doesn't back now. The question is, Does Jesus have the superpower to freeze me where I'm at and get me to respond the way, uh, just like I, with my children, have not always done the right, you got that superpower to work. It doesn't always work. Sometimes people size them up and say, eh, I don't think so. I'm going to try this out my way. Jesus says, all right, try it. See how that works for you. But I'm not going to come chasing you, and I'm not going to come begging. Jesus doesn't beg people. There's too much that we've gone through to try to wrap up in a, a pretty bow. John wrote that Jesus did many other things. So even if we tried to write them down, there's, there's not enough. There's not enough books. There's not enough paper, and that would be just the things he did. I mean, we haven't even talked about all the things that he did silently. All the emphasis and this that went into his ministry. Every movement of Jesus' ministry was deliberate and impactful. And it was designed to leave people with the impression of just what Jesus wanted. If you miss some of them, the sermons are located on our website. You can see them there. There's other material. But we're going to begin by, uh, I'm going to be gone next week and 
Uh, Cam's, I don't know if Cam's going to finish up the series or start a new one or branch out on his own. I don't know. Uh, but uh, when we come back, we're going to look at the other side of this coin. The, the side of not just what I'm showing to people, but what am I developing on the inside? My internal faith. All of the things, really, that we've looked at, all of the external stuff that we're showing to people is a reflection of what's inside. Peter and the disciples, they were able to show something. They were able to reach those expectations to whatever degree they did, leave things and leave whatever it was, give up things for Christ because they had been internally influenced for Christ. They said, this is something we cannot do without. And so the expectations were not too great for them. If we're going to communicate that to the world, we're going to have to begin by making sure that the, the inside of us is really, truly convinced that it is worth the expectations. Okay.